I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show we don't really draw too many lines between like the real thing the goofy thing the pre thing the post thing well it's all all just kind of good 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 i like that I i think that's the way to be in life so many, so many, so many damn books. Welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And in the damn library today, we have Lisa Lutz, author Hello. of Hello. the Spellman Files series, uh, uh, How to Start a Fire, uh, most recently The Passenger, um, and, and many other different types of ephemera and errata. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I like. I'm. I'm all about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I feel yeah. like I should just mention because anyone who knows me, it's so rare for me to be drinking a non-alcoholic beverage that was meant to be alcoholic. I just want to <laughs> say to the people out there, I'm drinking a non-alcoholic beverage. <laughs> that's um. That's as good a intro into the drink. Uh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. Perfect. That I have. Oh, good. So this uh, this time we're drinking something that I'm calling um, Henry Stone's Hangover Cure, um, <laughs> which is it. also uh, doctored but with Izzy's vodka. Um, so it's just orange juice, lemon juice, ginger, and green tea, simple syrup, and apple cider vinegar, um, and stirred up and, and left for about half an hour so it can uh, all become friends with each other. And then, uh, you know, Henry who is sort of healthy, a healthy-minded person, doesn't keep bad snacks in his house. Um, he would, yeah, I just imagine him giving this to Izzy and then she pulls like a flask from her purse <laughs> and, and pours it, pours that in. And I'm referring to uh, your fantastic series of Spellman Files characters, which, which yeah, I mean, Drew, you, you also made, you were one of the people that made me really want to read it. Yeah, I've loved it. My mom bought me the first book just like on a whim back when I was still young enough that my mom was like just buying me books randomly uh, and came home with, I think I got it for maybe a birthday or like Christmas or something wow. one year. Yeah. Uh, right after it had come out. And ever since then, it's like a book comes out and I just, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know that I have very few male readers, especially like really? young male readers. Yeah. And like the times, sometimes like I, a younger, like a teenage, uh, boy will come used to come to readings I mean, it was a while ago and it was always because the mother was reading and then the the kid would accidentally just pick up the book and be like huh, huh. 
but yeah, it was always tricky getting men to like even think of it in any way like worthy of their time. That's wow. so strange. Well, Man, this- now I'm going to devote a, a fair chunk of time to correcting, to <laughs> writing that wrong. Yeah, I mean, well, maybe you. this this is how we start. Yeah. All, male male listeners to this show. Turn up the volume. Yeah, turn it right up into your ears. You got to hear this better than others. <laughs> um, the Spellman Files series, which is about a family of, I mean, we should just say it's about a family of private detectives. Yeah. Um, most, we, we follow Izzy um, Spellman, who's the eldest daughter. And, uh, you know, there's five, six, uh, five. Of the Spellmans? Yeah. There are the parents, the three kids. Yeah. Three kids, and yes. Then, Five, and, yeah. then, and then various and sundry characters. And the next generation, as yes. it were. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, they are always scheming and making deals and the things that you might imagine happen with a family of private investigators. Um, yeah. You want to add to that? No. No, I think that's perfect. Um, yeah, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that... Nailed it! <laughs> but before we get into your fantastic work. Um, do we want to talk about what we bought? Sure. Uh, Drew, do you want to start? Um, I, long-time listeners will know I'm a big fan of Harper Perennial's Olive Editions, mm-hmm. where they put out a series of eight or so books a year from their backlist limited edition pocket paperbacks that all have sort of a lovely matching design. Um, This year's crop has been harder to find. I've only found two so far in local New York bookstores. So New York bookstores, please step it up. Get better. Yeah. Uh, The Professor and the Madman by Simon Winchester, which is about the writing of the OED. Mm -hmm. Um, And Caitlin Moran's How to Be a Woman. Oh, that's a Uh, great book. I agree. I don't know why I decided I had to be silent. <laughs> I was like mouthing it at first. Yes. I'm really excited to read it. I actually I um, loved it. I listened to that in audiobook and oh, it cool. is a it is a fantastic audiobook. I recommend that. Yeah. Nice. Um would you like to go next, Chris? Yeah, I'll go next. Um I went and saw um Chris Gethard um has a one man show called Career Suicide up at the Lynn Redgrave Theater right now in New York. And it was a great show that moved me more than I was expecting to um, for a comedy show. Um, and so as soon as I saw that he had a, a, a book of essays or stories from his life called A Bad Idea I'm About to Do. Um, nice. And so I'm really excited for that. He had, he'd pre-signed them, um, the ones in the lobby, and mine says, thank you, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which I'm excited to read. That's really exciting. Uh, and I also picked up... Um, uh, this girl, Amy Kurzweil, who was actually at the new school with me um, while I was at the new school, she just released her graphic memoir on uh, on Catapult or Black Balloon. I can't remember, but it's called Flying Couch. Cool. And it's about uh, her the generations of Jewish women in her family. Um, and I'm, you know, it looks fantastic. It looks beautiful. I'm, I'm really excited to read it. Nice. Wow. Oh, oh. Do you want to go next? Was Wait. I supposed to prepare? Oh, uh, gosh. Now we, I can't remember. <laughs> That's all right. I honestly can't. Like, I can see the books, and then I can't. I have a really tricky memory. Um, you were telling us about the... Did you pick up that Maria Semple on that? Oh, yes. Well, I have the the next Maria Semple, This Day Will Be Different, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I love her. Like, Where'd You Go, Bernadette was one of those books where uh. I can't... Like, as a, I, I don't usually have the experience of, while I'm reading a book, loving it so much, I almost 
can't stand it like i <laughs> like it's making me crazy like knowing yeah. that as I, I don't i'm okay letting a book end but this time it was that so i'm also kind of afraid to read her next book because you know she's she's not like you know every six months you, you gotta wait a little while which it's worth the wait but uh yeah anyway so i have that it's waiting for me i have a lot of things waiting for me i'm for some reason i'm reading the uh uh, Jeffrey McDonald Fatal Vision just because I'm sort of Ooh. I'm behind on my true crime and I happen to have read a while ago the Errol Morris book mm-hmm. and I bought it hook, line, and sinker and then I had all of my friends tell me no, he did it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's a terrifying case though. I mean, that's really one of those. terrifying. Yeah, that it's the more you learn about it the, the, the grayer and grayer you feel about humanity. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, um, which is a nice transition, yeah. kind of. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it seems like you read a lot of crime fiction. And we were talking earlier, did did the Spellmans come out of like a response to crime fiction? Yeah, did you see like a, a space that you wanted to fill or was, or, or, you know, maybe talk about the genesis of the Spellmans a little bit? It actually... Um you know, it was a, the very first sort of the Spellman, the first Spellman uh, iteration in any way was like a screenplay. And that was now probably 15 years ago, maybe. Mom. Yeah, at least that. So and it was at the very end of when I was trying to, you know, write screenplays for a living. I so I I read a little bit of crime back then, but back then I was a much sort of broader reader. Whereas once I became accused of being a crime writer, <laughs> I started like reading a lot more crime. And then because I went to things like Boucher Khan, the, this big crime writing festival, yeah. I, I just was surrounded by crime writers and it felt weird, at least with some of them, not to read their books. So that just became the, f- the focus of it, but it wasn't where it started. I mean, the idea, uh, I mean, I was always writing and, uh, I liked comedy back then. I really thought that's what I should be doing. I wrote comedic uh, screenplays for the most part. But the idea came from, I worked at a PI firm that was family run. Mm. And it was, they were so nuts. (laughs) (laughs) They were truly insane. It was sort of a, it was, was, you know, it was not the same type of family, but it was that the man who started the business was a retired FBI agent who was just charismatic, but nuts. Um, and he was married, he is married to uh, a woman who's much younger, and she was a spiritualist. So she was like his exact opposite. So he was sort of conservative on some level. Um, but she believed in, um, you know, uh, ghosts. Spirit, yeah, like spiritualists, and like contacting would, the spirit world? Yeah, okay, I just... she trained, she was trying to become a medium. So she didn't have it. She didn't have the natural gift, but she really believed in it and was trying to cultivate it. Wow. And would always talk about the ghosts in the office and do little prayers for you. Oh, man. <laughs> um, and when, when you came out with the novel, where they, did they say, like, okay, where's our, where's our cut? <laughs> <laughs> they were really into it. It huh. was kind of funny. When I would do readings in San Francisco, uh, Des, the FBI guy, would come to the readings and interrupt me and, and like... <laughs> Just start telling his stories or just <laughs> as I'm talking, he would just look back at the audience and say, we're so proud of her. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and it was the first, like I'd worked for family after that, but it was the only job where 
like hugs were just expected within like mm-hmm. a week of working there they were like des would come over and give me a kiss on the cheek they threw me a surprise birthday party i mean it was really strange oh wow, oh, wow. they were in your business though yeah like fully in your business it was a it was one of the great joys of like every almost every year or so uh getting the next spellman book and i remember reading your i forget if it was just like the frequently asked questions on your website or if it was the blog on your website but at some point you said something right before book six where you were like i'm starting to get a little itchy want to do some other things what i was wondering if you could talk about like series fatigue like did it get to a point where instead of seeing where they were going next you were like i'm seeing other things now (laughs) yeah i mean it's definitely like that um but I also had this feeling like, you know, I really hated the idea of those series that sort of do the same thing over and over again, which is sort of like tossing in different crimes and that kind of thing. The, these books were about the evolution of a family. It was about, you know, every year they changed, mm-hmm. their dynamics changed. But I couldn't ever, there were no, never going to be murders in the books. Right. When I worked at the PI firm, we never solved a single murder. And I was determined not to do that. So because the story couldn't hinge on the crime, it had to hinge on the family life. And at some point, you know, it, to, to find jokes, you're, you're always reaching. And, and if someone's sort of calming down in their life, it's, it's trickier to, to find that. So when I started to feel tapped out, um, I think I did Heads You Lose. And then the weird thing that happened was the fifth book ended up being some, like, I don't know, some magic thing happened when I was writing. And I think the fifth book was one of the best Mm -hmm. and so then i thought i could keep going yeah and then as i was writing the sixth i realized oh it's over Mm -hmm. wow and i had to end it as i was writing it was there um was there sadness there for you oh yeah (laughs) absolutely and and i think i left a door open not really sure exactly how i felt i left a door open for ray to take over but i really did feel like i had said everything i could say about these characters and and, and, you know, it was, it was partly about a family, but it was partly about showing the type of women that I don't see often enough in fiction. Um, and I I think I, I told Isabel's story pretty well. Yeah. There was something interesting, and I've very rarely, if ever, seen this before, but the book was originally published as The Last Word. And then in paperback, it, came, it was retitled. Yeah. Spelman, uh, Spelman Six, The Next Generation. That's honestly just was an error a decision made uh, initially that was a mistake to huh. take the spellmans out of the title we went along with it when we should have fought it yeah and then they realized oh yeah that wasn't a good idea people are confused and people and the sixth book a lot of people didn't realize what was going on that another spellman book had come out so mm. then for the paperback we changed it to spellman six and then obviously a couple people bought it twice and got really angry <laughs> <laughs> and i understand yeah yeah Let's let's maybe pivot to other books, the other books in your oeuvre. Um, How to Start a Fire, which is your, you've said before that it was your, um, that it was one of the first things you ever started trying to write. So did that call to you? Is that, is that how that happened? Like from, from the drawer in your desk or what was it like to return to it? Something that you'd started and, and coming back to it? I tried to return to it repeatedly. So during the phase I was working on um, Heads You Lose, whenever I would sort of uh, lob a chapter in Dave's direction, I would think, okay, this is the time I'll work on 
how to start a fire. So I had been working on it on on and off, um, and it was it was great. But th- then I sort of slowed down because then I decided that during my off weeks, my job was to just harass Dave into writing faster. <laughs> <laughs> so um, then it took a while. But then I, I dedicated myself. I mean, it was, but it was written over time, and it was certainly the book I worked the hardest on and the longest on. And do you want to um, tell our listeners what it's about? to to give them an idea yeah sure and the, and it is a tricky uh pitch but it's about three women over the course of 20 years and the first chapter we meet them when they're i believe they're 18 and then later we meet another character when she's in her 30s and nothing makes sense how she got from the person she was at 18 to who she is at 36 doesn't jibe and it's sort of about taking these women's lives and sort of turning it into a puzzle and also a mystery. So you sort of slowly figure out how how they got to where they got to. But it's also kind of like how it is when you meet someone where you get slivers of information and you're putting the pieces together of who they are and then eventually they start to make more sense. I always find that people don't make sense to me at first. Hmm. I often, I'm, off, I'm that person who often becomes very good friends with someone she didn't like when she first met them because it's just, I need more information. Yeah. Mm. Um, there's something in, in How to Start a Fire where I can't remember which character it is, but they set par- uh, like party games. Oh, yeah. And I'm, is, is that something you do? Is, uh, or is that, a, is that a fictional conceit? I loved it, you know. Yeah, I think that there, I mean, I'm definitely, in, certainly more in my day, I, I, was, I still am someone who likes parties. I like shenanigans at parties. Uh, I don't remember specific types of games um, exactly, but it's the sort of thing I like. I'm I also I have this vague memory of being at a party with a friend and we kept walking into rooms where we would see scenarios that just didn't make sense. <laughs> and and I wish I had a better example like an actual visual of it. And for some reason a bear is coming to mind, but I know that there was no bear anywhere, but you know when you like just see things that look wrong yeah. and you almost don't want the real explanation. You just want to tell each other what right. you think. You want to just is. close the door and be like, okay, so obviously. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, that can definitely be more fun than actually finding out the, the mundane reason why they've got a bear in their room. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You've mentioned a couple times now Heads You Lose, which is, I think, one of the funniest reading experiences I've ever had. Thank you. Because it, and I'm curious about a how you and David came up with the idea, but I came up. With you the came I- up with the idea. idea. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those who haven't read it, it's a story told in alternating chapters, written by alternating narrators uh, or alternating authors. Right. Um, but then also interjected with like your your increasingly embittered emails towards each other about trying to finish the book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I was just wondering, because I, I also had read something that with The Passenger, you like set out to write a traditional thriller novel. And I'm wondering, is that something that you find yourself coming back to, like coming up with these ideas and then being like, okay, and now I'm going to run with this conceit. Yeah, the constraints, setting constraints. Oh, I never think of them as constraints. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's interesting. I mean, and there certainly were, con- well, with Heads You Lose, there were constraints. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> Um, but I do, I, you know, it's like, I, I know I'm vaguely in the world of, 
of crime writers. I mean, I, I, I embrace it completely, but I also, I'm going to write whatever I'm going to write. I, I think having some element of crime or structuring a book like a crime, like if you look at How to Start a Fire, in some ways it's structured like a crime novel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you can't exactly call it that, but I don't think I've, I will ever or have ever written a book that isn't sort of owes some debt to that. Um, but I, I don't know. I think Heads You Lose might be the only book that I felt constrained in any way writing. Um, but I, what was was I supposed to answer something else about that one? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, the Passenger, uh, Heads You Lose, and How to Start a Fire are so different from the the Spellman files. And so they seem, they seem like a di- almost a different writer at work in some ways. Um, do you think that's just you growing or, or, I mean, it seems like you, you have like a, you have like a drive that you're, is, is, is that what you look for before you start writing a book? I have to really want to tell a story. There's a specific story that I have to tell. There's something I want to say with whatever it is that I'm writing at the time. I, I do think that I like I like playing with structure. I like um, branching out. I think part of the liking of branching out is that I did write six Spellman books. Yeah. And at some point you realize, oh yeah, I can do something else. I mean, when I wrote my first novel, I didn't think it was possible for me to write a novel. I thought I only had the skill set for screenplays. Um, so now I just want to, I want to do what I can do best and... Uh, yeah, but I don't, sometimes when people say, like, you've grown as a writer, I mean, yes, one would hope if you keep writing, you've grown as a writer, but I also think that sometimes people are saying that, and I know it's not you two, but sometimes people are saying it because I'm not writing comedy right. anymore, and I'm kind of like, oh, that bugs me, because I don't think they really understand then, comedy's hard, and yeah. the, those Spellman books were tricky. Um, Especially when you consider a lot of comedy is uh, timing, and it's hard to communicate timing of a joke in a novel. Yeah. Like, that's difficult. Very, very difficult. difficult. I mean, some of those jokes, too, that the footnote jokes, where, you, like, the punchline lands in the time it takes your eye to see the one <laughs> and jump down to the end of the page. And even, like, that is a very tricky thing to pull off. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't, I don't know. I... I'm, I remain very proud and defensive of those. So it's really nice to be in a room with two people who, <laughs> who dig them. Do you, um, do you go back and reread your own novels? Um, no. Every once in a while, I think, I, I feel like at some point I, I looked at some Spellman books again, just because it had been so long. Um, I might, I might do that at some, like, 10 years from now. It would be interesting to, to like, because I, I do know that the first Spellman book is very crazy, and, and at the first time I looked back on it, and I didn't read the whole thing through, but the first time I looked back on it, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, you really, like, didn't care how a novel was supposed to be written. <laughs> um, and there was some part of me that felt nostalgic for that, because I remember how I felt when I wrote it. It was, it was the rule I gave myself was there are no rules. So you can do whatever you want as long as someone wants to turn the page. So it's sort of the bigger, the crazier. And, and the, the feeling I always wanted when I was writing was to feel like unhinged to think, Oh, that's nuts. You shouldn't be writing that. And then to just write it. Mm. Cool. Yeah. That's really cool. That feels like a, a good move into your most recent book, the passenger, which is 
unhinged and crazy in a very different way. But also kind of really, in in some ways, contained. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, would you... Would you give a spoiler-free uh, synopsis? Because I feel like every time I go to talk about it, I'm like, "Ooh, I can't say that." Yeah, yeah, that, it is tricky. So it's, um, I mean, it's best to just say describe the opening. Uh, a woman. Um, <laughs> I'm like, what happened then? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a woman finds her husband dead, and instead of calling nine one one, she like packs a bag and takes off, and then she continues to move from. One town to the next. Um, one identity to the next. One identity to the next. Uh, and with each new identity, she's sort of plagued by her past identities as well until they catch up with her. It's more complicated than that, but I, I'm not, it's, I'm never sure, yeah, like you, yeah, which thing it, gives it away. It felt so, um, it felt like very realistic to me how difficult it would be to get away with any crime. You know, in, in some <laughs> in some in some of these in some crime novels, I'm always thinking like, well, what isn't it, it, it? You know, you just can tell that there's always someone who knows the thing that you did. There's always like one tie because you're alive. Like, right. <laughs> in, until you're not anymore, like there is there will always be ties to things. And like that is the that is one of the the truths I felt like I got from that book was that you're followed by your ghosts no matter what you do. Yeah, I mean, it. it's also true in that, like, even if someone else doesn't tie you to it, you can't escape it. Like, no one can escape their crimes. Um, but, but another thing that I was thinking about a lot with the woman on the run, that whole thing was to not have her be particularly heroic. Mm-hmm. I hate that. I, <laughs> I hate that. So I decided to just leave her with my basic skill set. Um, which is limited. <laughs> so you didn't want her like saving puppies from across state lines. Or things. <laughs> um. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Maybe this is as good a time as any to pivot from um, the slightly unlikable. Well, let's call her Joe. Um, to <laughs> to the truly and despicable uh, oh god <laughs> uh, George Simenon's dirty snow uh, Frank Fredemeyer. This is coming at you probably a couple weeks from the time that we recorded it. We're we're recording right in the right in the first week after we found out that Trump was elected. Yeah, just to just to let you listeners know, to give everyone some context about uh, how we're feeling here. Um, and and dirty snow. Uh, so, so let's, uh, so you brought dirty snow to us. Um, I did. And I'm sorry, this was not, (laughs) this was so not the week for dirty snow. I, um, I, I hadn't finished the book before, uh, the election results were in and I tried, I knew I had to finish it before for our book club. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why it couldn't have been like any other book club where I just expect to drink and not read the book. Uh, but I we appreciate that. We appreciate before, that. <laughs> so I thought, oh, I'll finish the book, and uh, it it was it was just like a cloud over. It was it was just too hard. Like I yeah. I felt like it was too hard. Um, and and I think it's an interesting book. Although I did have to read the afterward by Volman to try to get a little more to try to find why what it is. Um, yeah, I was confused by the character. Drew, do you want to do you want to do the thing? 
Um, it's a <laughs> it's a young man. He's not even nineteen years old. He's about to turn nineteen. Uh, in Nazi occupied Belgium. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's in Brussels, although the city is never specified. I don't think I don't remember it. Um, Me neither. But he, at the beginning of the book, uh, right right out of the gate, he sort of decides that he's going to kill somebody um, because he seems bored. I think that's what he kind of says. Like, yeah, he's just he's like, oh, I'm I'm going to prove to everybody that this is a thing that I can do. That like, not that I particularly feel like I need to. But I just want to show everybody I can do this, and and that sort of sets it off. Yeah, yeah. And then it's just it's he he lives and he lives in a uh, his his mother runs a, a a whorehouse. Yeah. And and he so he even though he's in an occupied area, he's living the high life, yeah. um, despite everybody else not living that life. And he also has deep contempt for everyone who doesn't have the ridiculous amount of um, privileges he kind of that he has. For- Everybody. Yeah, he just says yeah. yeah, he does. But he he's particularly at the beginning states his contempt for people who don't have privilege that he has. Definitely. So he's just awful. He yeah. is really awful, I and mean, you're in his head the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and it's a little overwhelming. And and at some point you, there is no way to make sense of his behavior. And no, I kept thinking of a uh, of Highsmith, Patricia Highsmith characters. Oh. Yeah. Um, who especially uh especially tom ripley um frank feels like a he feels similar in some way to tom ripley except for less whimsy yeah there's yeah he he doesn't have he doesn't seem to like anything um and and he'll ultimately have contempt for the things that he even says that he likes yeah um and so he's so i mean so deeply unlikable that i started to wonder what am what am I hoping for in this book? Like what is, what am I hoping happens or what do I think might happen as I turn the pages? I couldn't find, I couldn't find my, I think part of the problem when I, that I had when reading this was the, one of the friends who had recommended saw that I was reading it, but I had just started. And then he said that he thought it was like such a great idea because you have this horrible character who does these horrible things. And then you can have anything awful happen to him afterwards and it doesn't matter. Hmm. But I was expecting more like payback. Like, <laughs> I I needed, maybe because of this week, I needed retribution. I wanted yeah. to see something. And, and the thing was that he, I, I didn't see it as so much the horrible things were. Nothing ha- bad happened to him. He in, invited it, really. Oh, yeah. He seemed to want it. At he that wanted point. it. At that point, he changed his... It felt like it, he'd focused himself into wanting to be... I mean, he, sa- he even says, like, please torture me. You know? Yeah. He, he wants the retribution. If I'm looking for some motivation behind his behavior, I, it's that he's just simply trying to prove that he can take it. He can take more than anyone else can take. He can d- endure more than all. And he is trying to be seen as something different than other people. Even before I got to... Um, Volman's afterward I was thinking of Camus the stranger and Marcel and that idea that like Camus was writing to try and tell a specific he was trying to espouse a philosophy right and so you could sort of get away with like this guy doing these awful things and awful things happening to him whereas Simonon's like just telling a story which I think is 
in a lot of ways almost scarier the idea that he's not trying to espouse anything he's just like yep here's a shitty person and shitty things are gonna happen yeah i think even i think the character even says like i am a piece of shit i think that's a he quote does. no he does um that's a that's a direct quote my parents um, <laughs> um yeah i don't know i i had a hard time reading this book and i wonder i wonder if i would have had as hard a time you know two months ago yeah if tuesday had gone differently if tuesday had gone differently I don't think I, uh, yeah, I would have not had as hard a time. It was too much on top of all of that. And there is something to respect, I think, if we're going to look for anything. It's just this isn't, wasn't, the, I'm sorry I picked this book. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, sometimes with uh, the very evil characters, especially in, in crime, there's something sort of exciting about them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I hate that. Because the fact is that, like, if you look at a serial killer, and I hate serial killer books in general, but if you look at them, they tend to be boring and creepy and just sort of like, oh, if you met them, you'd be very uncomfortable around them and pity them on some level if you didn't know what they did for fun. <laughs> so what I did like was that there's just this unrepentant bad person and there's no sort of angle to make it sexy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I um, Yeah, he never makes you think like, oh, intre- it'd be interesting in, in the way that, you know, again, Highsmith sort of makes Ripley right. almost enviable and sometimes. Yeah. Christopher, have you read any Simenon previously? I haven't. This is my first Simenon. So this was my first read, but I was in London about a month ago and saw an adaptation. David Hare wrote an adaptation of a Simenon novel that's up at the National Theater right now. Is it now. one of his Inspector Magret? No. It's, okay, so I'm, uh, still still not. That's his one. Like, yeah. That's his guy. He's Magret. written yeah. like 70 or 80 of those. Um, yeah. Yeah, also this good dude wrote like 200 books. It's crazy. But they're all super short. It's like, yeah. come on. Yeah, <laughs> 200. It's Whatever. based on uh, Le Mans, like, uh, which I think was... The hand? Yeah, the hand. But I think the trans the play is called The Red Barn. <laughs> huh. But the novel is Le Mans. Um, I don't know why that made me laugh. <laughs> it is kind of absurd. But thinking about that play and then reading this and this idea of like sort of a a unrelenting darkness inside of human beings or even not a darkness but just sort of a a bleakness because the play is similar it's like this guy it's all leading towards this sort of one awful moment but there's not even the moments of like lightness that happen aren't really light it's just like the sun almost peeks through the clouds and doesn't Mm. i don't know is that is there humor to be found in a in in something that could could the dirty snow have been funny? Is there a way to have to to make someone awful also be funny without humanizing them? I think is I think that's the thing. How do you how do you not yeah how do you use humor and still not humanize? Is this something that can happen? I I like to believe it's possible, and I think there was I I mean there's some part of me that's seeing angles where there might have been a way to make this a little bit funny. <laughs> now I'm really excited to see like 15 years from now like your translation of this book. <laughs> it's not so much a translation as it is like an adaptation. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Reading this now particularly 
it just made me feel like there are some things in this life that are just completely inscrutable that you'll never know what know what they mean or know what know what yeah you're right and this makes me think about like a problem that i think that i have and i think it's a flaw and as a writer like sometimes you need to accept that i can never accept that i can never accept that on any front i can't accept it in life i need something explained and when something's unexplained i go crazy and i will keep providing meaning pre i will keep coming up with a scenario that makes sense to me until it's you know it's thrown back in my face no that's not it that's not it it's like with with even with trump i'm always trying to like make sense how is this yeah not not even just the big picture like how is he like this what logic is he following Mm. because it's that part it's not understanding like i can if, even if the answer is awful, I can handle that. But when there's no answer, I I can't. I mean, the I guess I think that will that that's like the nicest thing that I can say about this book is uh, I've never read anything like it. Yeah, uh, it's completely its own thing, um, and it's is it's singular, um, in in that it never provides any true. It never says like this, you know. It never says like this is why he's like this, or it never, um, it never tries to answer for his crimes, even, or even did he do them? And is that why he? If that is that really why he's going to be killed at the end, or is it just that he's just too blank for them to even care for? And that's why I will never regret having read it, and why I would I would recommend it, but I with with a warning, yeah, yeah. With, with a big big warning. Yeah, slap yeah. my. Yeah, I do want to go book. read some um, Magret. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. As I'd be curious to see what Simonon would do when thrown the more traditional crime. Right, structure. someone that he's gonna, some uh, who he likes. I assume he seem you know if you're gonna stick a bunch <laughs> of novels Seriously, with this I hope guy, so. <laughs> seem, make him likable in some way. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, now I need to know what Simonon does when he's trying to write someone that someone that he wants you to come back to in the next book. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why don't we um, Why don't we move to something that we can just more, more something that we can wholeheartedly recommend recommend yes. Yeah, let's just move to recommendations. Where we're just <laughs> okay. like, yeah, this book's awesome. I am looking forward to the very upbeat sound cue. <laughs> Drew, do you want to start or uh, oh, sure? No, look, I was like, oh yeah, I sh- I forgot about this part. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. Um, let's see. I I have two things. One um, that I read in sort of the the late October, early November swing when things started to look bleak uh, electorally. I was reading Colson Whitehead's The Underground Railroad, mm. um, which I, I'm struggling to comprehend how that book is probably. Uh, who knows by the time you're listening to this it will maybe have won the national book award it will probably win the pulitzer next year it is the first time i've ever encountered uh, a narrative about slavery that brought it home to me in a present tense feeling so like watching 12 years a slave reading the various slave narratives that you do in high school these stories that are very potent and very strong but colson's book for whatever reason brought like brought it immediately in to a present tense in a way I had never understood slavery before. Mm. Um it's also I mean it's his masterpiece. I love Colson's work, but this is it's 
awesome. Uh, and then I was like, man, I need something light. I need something silly. And so I went back to an author I had read a little bit in high school and f- kind of forgotten about, Walter Moores. He's a German author in translation. Uh, and he writes about this fictional land called Zemonia that is a continent in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean uh, populated by all sorts of strange creatures. The book I read was The City of Dreaming Books, uh, where this giant like lizard dragon cool author goes to this city called Bookholm uh, that is entire. It's all writers and booksellers and bookbinders, uh, and he sort of ends up having many fantastical, delightfully illustrated adventures hmm. uh, in this city. And I found that to be very relaxing and relieving, right up until I finished it Tuesday morning. Which of you two would like to go next? Uh, you go. I'll go. <laughs> I'll go. Um, so, perhaps inspired by you, Drew, who likes to enter October country in October, I uh, I finally decided to read a, a horror novel, and I never read horror. Um, and I fi- uh, I read <laughs> I read it by Stephen King, um, and uh, this it felt like. I felt like I was reading something that was important or something. I don't know. I don't know what was going on. Uh, but every time I picked up that book again, I felt like I was like there. Yeah. Just in the sewers with these kids. And I loved it. I loved it wholeheartedly. And I just want to tell this little story about reading this book. Um, I was at my, uh, my favorite bar in Brooklyn that I'm not going to say, so no one goes there. So. <laughs> um, but it's my favorite bar. Um, support your local favorite bar, whatever it might be. Yeah, and, uh, and tip your bartender. Um, but I was sitting there and reading, uh, if you've read this book, The Rock Fight Sequence. And I put it down after I read that sequence. And someone goes, hey, bro, from like a, like a diagonal. Uh, he says, which part? and i say to him oh it's the rock fight he was like oh get this guy a shot and he bought me a whiskey (laughs) to have dealt with what and then someone else says hey you guys talking it and so he joins the conversation and then people just are joining in talking about stephen king and like things that scared them in his books and like someone never finished it because it was too scary and like everyone's like oh what was the scene you stopped on and they remembered like something that they'd read and stopped reading 20 years ago (laughs) and it was just like this beautiful fantastic read it just go and read it. It's, okay, it's I am amazing. Sold. Yeah. I I have always resisted horror. I don't know why, but I have. I, horror films I can't watch. Can't either. Yeah, I can't and do it. I, and I know that I'm annoying if I you sit next <laughs> to me. It's like I'm just so agitated. It's not like it. I, it doesn't stay with me, but it, mm-hmm. I'm very awful watching them. Anyway, so I'm gonna read that. Read it. Um. So this, but uh, I will say it did cause a couple sleepless nights for me. Um, wow. So, nice. So <laughs> yes, mission accomplished. Uh, I can't eat a fortune cookie again, um, but you know, ultimately, fantastic <laughs> reading experience. That it's one of my favorite books I've ever read. Cool. All right, so I came unprepared for this whole uh, recommendation thing. So it's, I don't have like new new recommendations, and I've been a bit slow lately. But I'm going to go back to two books that um, 
I, I know that I really like went crazy for. Um, the first one would be Dan Schoen's Await Your Reply. Ooh. And I was like, I, I couldn't tell you a whole lot about the book. I can tell you that it's like, it's a masterful crime novel, but so much more. And there's so many things about it that, but every single person that I've recommended it to has been in love with it. Cool. Like, so that one, and and it was a long time ago. That's partly why I'm not so coherent about it. It was a long time ago that I read it, but I, you know how like some books is just a feeling, a memory of like a love you can't even begin to describe. And then um, Karen Joy Fowler's We Are All Completely Beside Ourselves. You both, did you, you've read it both? Yeah. yeah. So um, I don't, and and I ha- I know that there's this, this thing that you sh- you should know it's probably on the book but when i read it i didn't know anything so there were certain things that came as a surprise cool. so i don't even want to say anything other than the writing was so alive and when i say crazy i mean crazy in the best possible way but there were just things that you just can't so unexpected and so beautiful and i loved that one uh more than i can begin Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a great, that's an amazing, yeah, cosine. Yes. Well, uh, Lisa, thank you so much yeah. for, for coming you, and joining us. This is lovely. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, really, um, people who all you men out there yeah, I was gonna say especially the dudes listen up <laughs> Spellman Files is just fantastic it's just like one of one of the great joys of my reading life has been had was getting immersed in Izzy's San Francisco um, or if you're coming in from the other direction if you read The Passenger and you're like huh that yeah. was great what's next like <laughs> oh check it all out check it all out if you're a big Thank pothead you. Heads You Lose is a great place to start <laughs> Uh, it's all yeah it's all good um yes again thank you so much thank you yeah. this is really fun cool and we're out that's it And as a uh, fellow UC Santa Cruz um, student. Oh, I uh, didn't know that. Yeah, I was a banana slug. I graduated. Um, (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) Bravo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I didn't mean it to come out that way. And I apologize. (laughs) 